Amen. And as you're turning with me in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, I want to uh, brag for just a moment. Uh, I want to brag on our men and what a great job they did in ministering Friday. Uh, it's a whole lot less like work when more people are here and fellowshipping and cooking. And the food was tremendous. Brother Stacy uh, hit it out of the ballpark. It was a wonderful time. Wonderful word from God, challenging us, several decisions for Christ made that night. And he wanted me to send word just how blessed and refreshing it was to be here uh, with uh, Eastside and uh, to pray for him, his ministry, and his church. Uh, I also want to brag on our student pastor, Ryan, uh, two students that he directly and indirectly led to the Lord, baptized this morning because of his heart for our students and his heart to teach them God's word. And uh, I thank God for him and for all that he does, singing and all the other stuff. I mean, he's so talented. Some days I just hate him. Uh, you know, don't you get tired of people like Ryan and Philip? They can play and they can sing and they're smart and they're handsome. No, I'm just, you know. Maybe I'll stop on the handsome part, but I do. I thank God for, for Ryan. I thank God for all of our, our servant leaders. And he said, we're so blessed. Last Sunday night, our deacon body shared their faith, and they did not even realize it. They were preaching the gospel, just like Peter did, just like Paul did. What Do you, do you think that when Paul was saved out on the road to Damascus, yes, he went through that, that period of blindness. And he went through a couple of years of being schooled, but he didn't grow up in uh, a Christian Sunday school. He grew up in Judaism. And yes, he knew the word of God, but you know what he preached? Jesus saving him. That's what Peter preached and got beaten for it. And our deacons preached the Lord's salvation in their life. And how God had changed them last Sunday night and didn't realize they were, in preaching that gospel, there were those sitting there under conviction that were saved. Church, last Sunday morning I challenged us. I said, if we will simply lift Jesus up, the Bible says, he will draw all men into him. It is Palm Sunday. Sunday's coming. Easter's coming. And once Easter has come and passed, if the Lord does not come back between now and next year, things will kind of decline and we'll get busy with summer. I'm telling you, if you've got a lost family member, you've got a lost friend, this is the week to encourage them, share your faith with them, and invite them to come and be with you next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. It's going to be worship a little different. It's going to be wonderful. The choir singing their songs, and, and, and I'm going to be preaching the Easter message tucked in to that special Easter music. And so we look forward to that next Sunday. This morning, I want you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes 3. And for all of you that are uh, visiting with us today, you're our special guest. And I want to kind of bring you up to speed. We've been going through the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. This is a letter, or, or basically it's a, uh, it's a how-to book uh, on life that I believe uh, King Solomon, others believe the Coleth was someone else, but 
I, I lean toward King Solomon, uh, that he had written uh, Proverbs, he'd written Song of Solomon, but in the waning days of his life, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And over 30-something times, roughly 38 times, he says that life lived here is vanity. It's just a vexation of spirit over and over and over again. He says life and all of its trappings are just vanity. He speaks 29 times of life lived under the sun or under heaven, speaking about our temporal human lives. And so we look at this book, and we, this is our fifth message as we go through this book, on the laboratory of life. He literally, throughout this book, puts all of life's situations in the lab. And he says, I'm going to try this and see if it brings me fulfillment. If it brings fulfillment to anyone. And so he goes with wine, women, and song. He goes with time and trying to control time. He goes with wealth and riches. And at the end of every lab, he comes to the conclusion, it's all vanity. It's just vanity. It's as a bubble that bursts. And when it bursts, it leaves no residue. It's a vapor. That slips up and passes away. This morning as we look at Ecclesiastes 3 in the laboratory of life. We see a conclusion that he's, he's finishing up. Uh, he finished up chapter 2 bringing the first conclusion. But we notice, I, w- I want to go back and read you something. First chapter of Ecclesiastes. He said, what prophet has a man of all his labor which he takes under the sun. One generation passeth away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. This morning, as we look at chapter 3, I want us to grasp something. And for some of us, listen to me, this can be life-altering. If you will hear what God's Word has to say to you today, you can leave here Burden free, you can lay your yoke that is so weighing you down and run your race with joy in your life. And here is the conclusion. God is in control. God is in control. Now as you notice the slide, what do you see there? You see a tree in different colors, but what does that symbolize? The season. Now, that would be somewhere else besides Georgia because we would have about 32 different colors as it comes and goes and flips. But ultimately, there's four seasons, right? We sing about it in one of our hymns. We we sing of uh, winter. We sing of, of spring. And we sing of summer and of harvest time or fall. Here, he tells us in chapter 3, to everything. How many things? Everything. Ryan mentioned it this morning. He said, you know, I, I'd kind of forgotten, but I believe God ordered it. I love that. I was like, amen, with a big exclamation point. To everything there is a season and a time 
to every purpose under the heaven. Now here's our idea. As we take this, this whole premise, the truth, God is in control. I want us to look at the next slide and get this. This is where we come at from the world. Life's hard, then you die. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever said it. But I'll fess up and say I have. But the truth is, when we say that, we're looking at life in the moment. We're looking at life when you seem like your bills are insurmountable. When you're sitting in the doctor's office and you seem to not be able to get relief. When it seems like your rebellious child will never do what they should do. When it seems like your family has abandoned you and all of your friends have betrayed you. Life's hard, then you die. That's life viewed in the moment. But what Solomon got past, see he lived in that. He said life's hard, so live it up. Carpe diem, seize the day. Man, get everything. The Epicurean idea is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's their motto. That is, does that not sound familiar in our world and society today? Live it up. Live it up because listen, this is all we've got. Stephen Hawking, one of the most brilliant minds to have lived in the 20th and 21st century, could not admit because of his knowledge, he would refuse to admit to his dying breath that there is eternity and that God is over it. And he lived his life believing truly in annihilationism that this is all there is and when it's when our life is done, we're over. Carl Sagan said, the cosmos is all there is. How can you make such an unabridged statement unless you've been past the cosmos? You see, there is the idea of time. And in time, this, this definition come out of the Webster's Dictionary. A continuous period or moment in which things take place. There's another old Christian song that talks about time and that we're just a passing through. I've heard some say you look at a headstone. There's two dates, right? For those who have gone on, there's two dates. What's the first date? Birth. What's the second date? But the important, important thing, thing is the dash. How we lived our lives. You see, oftentimes we, we focus after a loved one has gone on. We focus on just the moment they died. But what about their life? What about all the good things? What about the time spent just sitting around watching TV or, or cutting grass or fishing or shopping or just talking? You see, what Solomon Failed to grasp for so many years that he grasped through the Spirit here in chapter 3 is life has meaning because he is. We, those four that profess Jesus Christ this morning, if you're born again, you have 
not you're going to get, you have eternal life. Amen? To be absent from the body is to be. There is no soul sleep. There is no purgatory. There's no hanging around on some second level cloud and see if you make it in. And I hate to burst your bubble, but Peter's not going to be standing at the gate. Peter went into heaven the same way every other believer, through the blood of Jesus Christ. It was not by works of righteousness which he or us will do. You see, life has meaning because God is eternal. And what Solomon keeps saying is life under the sun is vanity. But there's one over the sun. One who created the sun. One who hung the planets in their orbit. The one who caused the light to shine. What did God say? Let there be light. God is the source of all things created. And being that, he is an uncreated creator. Thus, telling us he's God. God controls time and all, and hear this, all that goes through it. You see, we have that birth date. Mine written on that birth certificate says October 11, 2.14 p.m., 1964. And I don't know what will be wrote on the death certificate. We'll get to that in just a moment. But what I do know is from October 11th, 1964, until that date that is filled out on my death certificate or the rapture takes place, God's in control of it. Now, isn't that freeing already? What am I going to do? What am I going to do about college? What am I going to do about my major? What am I going to do about paying my bills? What am I going to do about getting married? And what am I going to do about a job? What am I going to do about my car? What am I going to do about... Listen, God's in control. Stop carrying the weight that God said only He can carry. Now, hear it. My daddy... Always told us boys, there's a time and a place for everything. I just thought that was some kind of Aubreyism. You know, that's what my daddy said. Aubrey, Aubrey, time and place for everything. Time and place for everything. I'm 53 years old. There's a time and there's a place for everything. And my daddy didn't come up with that. God did. My daddy learned that truth And he was trying to instill it into us. First of all, God has appointed time. God appointed time, not us. You got a watch on today? Did you adjust it two weeks ago? You still letting it ride, Kibo? You just, it'll catch up in November. Yeah, I hear you. I hope it don't change it. Let it just keep going. The world's worst thing, I'm telling you, one of the worst things that I have to do in my life is to remember how to change the clock on the radio in my, my truck. I dread that about time change worse than anything. I ain't changing the, I was going to say VCR. I don't know that we even got a VCR anymore. Uh, I, I don't know that, I mean, that's, that's antiquated, but. You know, uh, if you've got a digital watch, and I, I'm too old for a digital watch because 
I don't know how to, there's seven buttons on there. And you've got to, I mean, it's like this secret code. You literally could figure out the nuclear football the president carries before figuring out a new watch, which buttons to match in which order, so you could change that hour. But what I want you to understand, you wear the watch, you don't control it. You don't. God has appointed time. Look with me in chapter 3. To everything there is a season, a time, to every purpose under the heaven. First of all, a time to be born and a time to die. Hebrews 9.27 said it exactly. He said, it is appointed unto man once to die. You hear me, teenagers, that are going to live forever. You're convinced that there is no danger. There is nothing that can get you. You're good enough. You're smart enough. You'll outsmart it. You can outrun the police. You can outsmart mom and dad. You can outsmart everything else. I'm going to tell you, the older you get, the dumber you are. Truth is, you're getting smarter. You just realize how dumb you were to start with. I've been pastoring for almost 30 years. And I don't know how many. I was going to try to keep up with it. And I... I quit a long time ago. But what I can tell you is, I have officiated funerals for stillborn to 99 years of age and everything in between. I've stood over 17-year-olds. I've stood over 21-year-olds. I've stood over 47-year-olds. I've stood over every age imaginable. And the one thing that I know for sure is there's a time to be born and a time to die. Now, I want you to get something about this. This blew my mind. Now, I already, understood, I already knew it, but just to verbalize it blows my mind. Hear this, and I just pinned this down. Out of the gazillions of people that have been born on the face of this earth, God created Adam and Eve, and after that, everyone's been born. My, I'm pretty sure about that, right? Even Jesus. God made man out of dirt. God's made man four ways. Did you know that? God made man out of dirt. He made a woman out of a man. He made man out of woman and a man. And he made man through a woman. Right? God created Adam. He created Eve from Adam. And through procreation, Adam and Eve had children. And then through the blessed virgin birth, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, overshadowed her, the incorruptible seed, and Jesus was born. But hear this. Out of every person ever born, there's only been one, one single person to ever order their own birth and their death. The only one who could control it. And that is Jesus Christ. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus in his deity, being God, God in three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus being part of the triune God, planned his virgin birth. And being 
subservient to the Father, was made lower than the angels, walked among men, carrying that complete robe of flesh. He hungered, he thirsted, he suffered, and he died. He was a real man, but he was really God. And he ordered his own birth. Jeremiah said that God told him, before you were born, I knew you. Now, before we stretch that and think that we were little cupid dolls flying around with our little wings, little fat baby angels flying around somewhere in some mystic land, you didn't exist in time before you were conceived. But God is eternal and already knew you and had a plan in his time for you. He tells us here there is a time to be born and a time to die. First of all, naturally, we're all here today. Believe it or not, everyone here was born. Nobody hatched. Everybody was born. A natural birth. And there's a time to be born naturally and a time to die. We've already said it's appointed unto man once to die. There is an appointed time naturally for death and to be born. But then spiritually, God has a plan for mankind. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to make it very vividly clear to you today. Jesus died for the sins of the world. He died for you. But you can't set your time and your parameters on God's working in your life. God saves you. You don't save yourself. There is absolutely, unequivocally nothing. Because I'm going to tell you, the older I get, the more I see and hear people thinking, oh, I've just always known Jesus. No, you haven't. You may have known about Jesus, but you've not always, you were not born of the incorruptible seed. You were not born of the immaculate conception. You were not born without original sin. You were born messed up through the imputed sin and the Adamic sin that Adam brought on all mankind. But thank God in heaven that he ordered that we could be born again. What did he tell Nicodemus? You must be born again. But to do that, you've got to die to yourself. That's what baptism symbolizes as I went over it again with them. Before they go into that water, it is symbolic of what we will worship in our Savior this coming week. That Jesus carried our sin, not that he had any sin, but that we did, we, we do, and that we are dead in trespasses and sin. But what did Jesus do? He died for that sin. And what did they do when he died? They put him in a tomb. Jesus didn't breathe. He didn't swoon. He didn't have an outer body of experience. Jesus died. And his dead corpse lay in the tomb for three days and three nights. Amen. And that's why we believe in immersion. That's why I want them to cross their hands, look like just somebody in a casket that goes down under the water because it is ultimately signifying what Jesus did for us. And out of all that I've ever baptized, I've yet to see anybody breathe under that water. 
But when they come back up, what's the first thing y'all do? First thing I did. It's that, that life, the oxygen of God blowing in our nostrils and in our heart. When God, through His Son, saved us when it was time. Not your time, His time. And you were born again. You died to sins and was born again unto eternal life. Number two, a time to plant. And a time, he says, to pluck up that which is planted. What does this even mean? I want you to grasp something here. We try to make things happen. We try to build our teams Put our little pawns in play so that we can make things happen. You need to understand, we can work as hard as we've ever worked at Eastside Baptist Church. But hear me, they tried to worship Paul and Apollos one time. And they said, Paul said, I plant, plant the seed of the gospel. Apollos waters, but God gives the increase. God has appointed a time to plant and pluck up because only God can bring the harvest. Only God can save. Only God can give us harvest in our life. You want a blessed marriage? It's not going to be by the concoctions of mankind. It will not be because you planned everything just right. It'll be because God's hand is on your marriage. That's why your marriage is right. You want your children to grow up and be what God wants them to be? Put them under the authority of God. That's hard sometimes. That's real hard. Because I want to reach out there and snatch them back up by the nap of the neck. You know, if you ever send them off to college, you know you have the red light prayers. You stand in the yard and watch till you can't see their taillights anymore. Can I tell you, my mom was 78 and she, or 77. Please don't tell mama I said that. 77. Mama still does that to this day. She stands in her driveway. I don't care what the weather is. She stands in her driveway and waves at us until we're out of sight. Because she's always going to be mama. But you know what? There's been times in my adult life where mama couldn't fix it. Mama couldn't touch the pain that was hurting in my life. There's been times in my life, my wife, as much as she loved me, and as long as we have been together, she could not do anything for me. There's times my best friends just, they, like, and not in the negative way, but, but like Job's friends stood around, there was nothing they could do. It was between me and God. It was a time in my life that God had to do a work. And hear me now. There's a day of wheat and tares coming. The tares will grow. The tares are that which is not fruitful. They look like fruit. They look like wheat. But really they're just weeds. I'm going to come down here for just a second. You may have been baptized. You may have been baptized a few times. I'm not trying to cause anybody to doubt what God has done in your life, but hear what I'm telling you. You may have grown up in church, and your testimony is, I've always known Jesus. I've always been around Jesus. I, I heard about him 
from the first thing I ever heard in, in my little Bible book that Mama read to me and in Bible school and Sunday school. and I've been to every youth camp there was and all I've ever known is Jesus. But I need you to understand something. You can't know enough about Jesus. You can't go to church enough. You can't give to enough good causes and buy enough Boston butts and raffle tickets to get your work level high enough to match the holy blood of Jesus. And the problem is that every Sunday, churches throughout the world, tares are coming in and out of the church. The field of the body of Christ is filled with those who look like fruit bearers. They look like wheat, but in essence, all they are are weeds. Jesus looked at a fig tree and he said, boy, that's a pretty fig tree. And everybody else said, oh, yeah. But he walked over and he grabbed the leaves. He lifted up those big fig leaves. He said, but look, it's living a lie. It's full of foliage, but there is no fruit. If that's your life, you're full of beautiful foliage, but there is no fruit. There's coming a day where God's going to harvest the field. And God, where His Word, the Bible says, can cut asunder even between the marrow and the bone. That two-edged sword will separate the right from the left, the sheep from the goats, and the wheat from the tares. There's a time to plant. And there's a time God will pluck up. He said there's a time to kill and a time to heal. Can I tell you that directly this is the result of our sin? I don't believe that God kills people. I don't believe that God would let anybody go to hell. I'm going to tell you something. God's a holy God. God told Adam don't sin. God told Adam and Eve, you can have everything except for one thing. Don't eat of the tree. And they did. Can I tell you something, parents? If you tell your child something, don't do that or I'm going to spank you. Or if that just rattled your left lean, if you don't do this, I'm going to put you in time out, take away your iPad, your iPhone, your this and I that. and You're going to have to watch regular TV. No Netflix for a month. You know, whatever it is, if you tell your children, don't do this, and if you do, these are the consequences, and you don't follow through, it's going to become easier and easier and easier for them to do it, and ultimately, the roles will reverse, and they'll be your boss. If you want, and, and you're not helping them. You say, but I love them. And I, look, if you really love them, you're protecting them because you don't know. You can't see the end game. 
Okay? You don't know that their disobedience here and your allowance and enabling is what will ultimately lead to them shooting up heroin. You said, preacher, that's a stretch. Oh, no, it isn't. One thing leads to another. Satan doesn't, I've told y'all this. Satan doesn't come to a 13-year-old and says, hey, why don't you become a heroin addict today? It starts with, why don't you disrespect your teacher? And then we run down, Jimmy don't ever do anything wrong. It's got to be your fault. And then when they're 15 and they get caught doing something like stealing a car or doing something else, then you tell the police it wasn't Jimmy's fault. It had to be somebody else's. It's society. It's this group. It's that group. It's all the politicians. I'm here to tell you. I'm going to stand before God for how I raised my children and how I taught them. But ultimately, I'm going to stand accountable in God for me. And I won't be able to blame anybody for anything. There is results to sin. There has to be consequences. Am I right? God ordered three forms of government. First was human government. And see, we, we have tried to throw this completely away in our world today. Even our pr- public universities don't want to use personal pronouns and things that delineate gender. They don't want to say he or she. Is that not the most jacked up, just ludicrous, idiotic thing you've ever seen in your life? I just, you know what, it, it blows my mind. It just just the sheer ignorance of it, but it never surprises me. And every other way, we've tried to delineate family. We've tried to delineate God orders the family. He made Adam and Adam the head. He made the wife who would be support, and they were to love each other, not walking. Listen, before you go off on that whole tangent of he's a male chauvinist, he did not take a bone out of Adam's foot. To make Eve, because he never meant for the man to lord over the woman. You're never to step on your wife. You're never to keep her under. But he didn't take the bone out of Adam's head either, because he didn't mean for the woman to lord over the man. And before we, oh, but I know what it says, preacher, over in Ephesians chapter 5, about 22 or 23, 24, it says that man's the head of the home and the wife's to obey, yeah, but back up to about verse 21 where it says that you're to submit to one another. Put it in context. We're never to walk ahead of each other, but to walk in support of one another. But when there are actions against it, there has to be consequences. There's human government. There's civil government. Do you know what would happen if we didn't have These police officers, we didn't have judges. We didn't have prisons. Do you know what? We need less prison. No, we need less crime. Randall, you'd be good with that, wouldn't you? Dale, you'd be good with less crime. Y'all can sit around like Andy, you know? Just sit around, go fishing, whistle. And honestly, you know how you want to get rid of crime? You want to get rid of abortion? You want to get rid of all that stuff? Preach! Jesus, not Dr. Phil and Sister Oprah. 
preach Jesus. He is the only one that can change this world. He's it. There are consequences to civil actions in this world. There's got to be. There's results of our sin, but it's because he's holy. If he didn't, if he said, oh, just live however you want, then let me ask you something. Wouldn't that mean everybody's going to heaven? And if everybody's going to heaven, then why did Jesus have to die? He's the Savior. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to break down and a time to build up. This is godly criticism. Me and Mike was talking this morning. He said, man, I love the book of Ecclesiastes. I said, I do too. I said, I like part of Proverbs, but part of it just chaps me bad. He said, well, I hate Proverbs. These parts of I mean, I just like, God, really? I think I'll just skip a few chapters. And then he says it again. I'm like, oh, I can't get away from this. Oh, it's easy to love Philippians 4.13, isn't it? Back up and start reading it from verse 1. And grasp the context. Paul was in prison. Now, do you want to claim 4.13 as your life first? Then understand where God had put Paul when he wrote it. When he said, I can do all things and my God shall supply all, uh, 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 all my needs according to his riches in, in glory according to Christ Jesus. Understand, he was supplying his need in the simple fact he was giving him enough food to get by and someone to write down when he was speaking. He didn't give him six weeks vacation. He didn't have a lake lot. He didn't live in a beach house. He lived in a dungeon and they took his life. Sometimes God has to get our attention. He said there's a time to break down and a time to build up. It's a time of restoration and a time of repair. I worked in buildings long enough to know sometimes when you go in to do a job, they say, listen, this corner of the house is kind of sagging. The column looks like it's sagging. And automatically, after a while, you realize, you know what? It's not just that the ground settled. There's some damage somewhere. There's some water damage, some termite damage, something. And you say, they say, how much is it going to cost? And you know better. You say, I cannot give you a price on this until we get everything tore off and we can see what's inside. You know what? Sometimes in our life, God has to tear away some things and break it down before he can build up. God is the only one that ever breaks something before he uses it. Kind of, like a, kind of like the old fire alarm thing, you know? In case of a fire, break glass. If you think you can get through life serving God without God breaking you, you're living a lie. You're living in the laps of this, lap of this world's luxury and what it gives you, but it, it'll never suffice. Listen, God has an appointed time, but then notice God's time is appropriate. God's time is appropriate. He said a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up. But then a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing 
This is what's really wild about this. Weeping and laughing are polar opposites. Would you agree? How about mourning and dancing? Weeping and leaping. Kind of the opposite, right? Embrace and refrain from embracing. All of these things are opposites, but in God's order and God's control, opposites can be applied in the appropriate time. There are times to be broken. There's times to be built up. There's times for weeping and times for leaping. Listen, what the scripture says, to weep and to laugh. There's times to be sad, church. There's times to be sad. There's somewhere between 70 and 80% of the population of Evans County that are unchurched. On any given Sunday, they will not be in church. And out of the majority of those, many do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. People you serve on boards with, people you work with, people you go to school with, people in your civic organization. When's the last time you've been so broken over a family member or friend that you realized it was time to weep? It's time to be broken over the lostness of this world. The world is tempting us to stay mad about everything. There's time, we'll get to that. There's time to be so broken we weep openly. Can I tell you, one of the truest moments in my life was when I saw my daddy cry over something I had done. It so broke his heart. God got my attention. There was a time to weep. Then there's times to laugh. I love to laugh with the best of them. I love to have a big time. There's a time for that. It's all right. Don't be so, so uptight that you can't laugh. Don't be so adult that you can't enjoy life in front of your children. Laugh with them. Look, you want to really have fun? Laugh at yourself. Now, when you do, you'll get more secure. People who can't laugh at themselves are not secure in who they are. I, I mean, I've been there. Loosen up and laugh. Man, we all mess up. We all mess up. Friday night, Robert gave me a hard time about it. I said, I was talking about the Wounded Warrior Retreat and how great it is. And I said, this is not what you see on TV, Trace Atkins, all that Wounded Warrior Project. This is different. And I said, so if you're interested, when you go to the end, you'd like to give to the Wounded Warrior Project. I said exactly opposite what I meant to say. One Sunday, I talked about Moses and when God went in the ark. I talked about Jonah and all the persecution when his wife died and told him to curse God and die and his whole family and all of his friends left him. That wasn't Jonah, by the way. But I said it. You know what I'm gonna do? What am I gonna do? Stand there and deny it? I'm gonna laugh. Laugh. Because I am a flawed individual. Laugh. You might as well laugh. Time to weep. There's time to be serious now. Remember, there's time and place for everything. There's time to be serious. Time for weeping. Sometimes it's just good to laugh. 
Hey, I'm so glad you're feeling better and you're back with us. We, we st- Faye started this little thing besides our young at heart for just senior adults to get together, just have some fellowship, and it's called the merry hearts. You don't know why? Because the scripture says that a merry heart does good like a medicine. I don't know about you, but if I feel bad enough, I want something to make me feel better. Mike, aren't you glad? I mean, you might be selling used cars if we didn't feel that way. I know, me too. Listen, if I got a headache, man, ain't nothing like three ibuprofen now. If you don't like that, don't tell me because it works good for me. Hear me today. There's a time for sadness and gladness. A time for weeping and a time for leaping. I love a good, godly wedding. The sacredness of it, that it's not a contract but a covenant. I love to see a man and wife that walk the aisle and say I do to Jesus and to each other. And I love to see it reflected in their lives. And I look across here of a couple of Smith boys and their brides and the Strickland family and several others throughout that I've had the privilege, the privilege to officiate. And here you are leading, raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Hey, there was a time. There, there, there was a time for, uh, for this whole idea of weeping and being broken. God, what do you want in my life? There's times that have come up. But you know what's fun? I, I mean, I have to stand up there and look, and nobody wants, I, you know, I'm like a kid in a, in a wedding. I need to be heard and not seen, uh, kind of reverse of a child. So I, I have to say all my words right and get it through and everything just at the right time and kind of direct that thing. All these women that come in, they want to direct. You ain't the director. The preacher's the director of the wedding. He, you wouldn't get through it without him. Amen. So I do all that, but you know what I like? I like when they all walk out and they start playing the louder music. And it's done. And I say, look, present, here they are, go. And then we have a good godly reception. The first thing I get is the coldest ice down Diet Coke. Oh, man, that's heaven. And they have all kind of chocolate fountains. And then we dance. Oh, preacher, you're a Baptist. You know, I may have to go to the third level of heaven, but I like it. Me and Emily, y'all going to see us on YouTube. When she gets married, I'm going to tell you, it, it'll be a throwdown showdown. We're going to have a big time. We're going to have a big time. You know what? I love dancing with my wife, dancing with my daughter, seeing my wife dancing with the senior dance last night with my son. You know, all that's cool stuff. Here's the time. You say, well, I don't believe it. I don't care if you believe it or not. God's Word just said it. Am I right? A time to dance? Don't feel bad. Saul tried to kill David for it. 
right? His own wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, said, Oh, look at you, David. You're just acting a fool. I'm a fool for Jesus. Roll on. If you've never experienced a Lecrae or Trip Lee concert or a Fuge Camp worship session, you haven't lived. It's just the way it is. I figured I'd get two amens, Kara. I mean, you know, it's wonderful. Time of weeping, a time to leap. To cast away stones and together. I, I want to hurry. I want to get through. Listen, stones can hurt and help. The Bible speaks of stones being things that can cause others to stumble. Don't, don't cast stones in a way of hurt and anger. But there are times to cast away stones that hinder. What's in your life that is a monumental stone that's in your way? Blow it up. Cast it aside. You know, when a farmer goes out, the field's not already primed for planting. you got to go out and get that stuff up. Plow it up. Get the rocks out of the way. You can't just plow around it. It's got to be gone. There's a time to cast away. But you can take those same stones and build walls of protection. And you can build citadels of worship before our Heavenly Father. Just like those stones that the Bible tells us in Joshua 24, he looked out and he said, choose you this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They said, us too, us too, we'll worship the Lord. And he took a big stone and he set it under the oak tree and he said, make no mistake, this stone has heard everything you said and it will be a witness between God and man from now on, you said you'd serve him. Maybe you need to establish a stone in your home, in your family, in your life. Hey, look at this stone I recognize before the world. It's a stone of worship that it's heard me proclaim, I will serve the Savior. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain. If you don't believe this, I'm going to be real, close, real short on this. This is good and bad relationships, unequally yoked. And if you need any more answers on times to embrace and a time to refrain, come to all us fathers of daughters. And we'll explain the rest of it to you. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. You know what? I love my wife. I like to kiss my wife. I like to hold hands with my wife. But you know, in the house of God, it's not time to make out. It's just not. There's a time and a place for everything. Judge, I don't imagine you'd let that go on very long in your courthouse. I know our teachers, hey, teachers, what, you know, hey, a little separation right here. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain. God's time is appropriate. Amen? God's time is assigned. He said right here. In verse 6, a time to get and a time to lose. This is just ups and downs, church. Life's not always going to be on the mountaintop. Sometimes it's going to be at the bottom. But you know what? He tells us in the Old Testament that God is not only the God of the mountains, He's the God of the valleys. 
when things doesn't look like it's going to work out at all. God is in control. You know what? You won't see the most beautiful harvest and crops on the mountaintop. You're going to see them down there in the valleys. In the bottoms of our life, that's where God grows us. It's time to get and a time to lose. There's a time to keep and a time to cast away. Things that are useful and things that are useless. What is it in your life you need to get rid of? Spiritually, spring clean. If it's standing between you and God, get rid of it. Jesus speaks of it as an eye that offends thee. Pluck it out. If it's your language, if it's your habits, if it's your friendships, you know what they tell them in AA and all of those type clubs? There's three things you got to change. You got to change your playmates, your playthings, and your playground. That comes from the Word of God. God said, come out from among them and be a separate people, saith the Lord. There's a time to keep and a time to cast away. There's a time to rend and a time to sow. This literally means there's time just to rip things apart. It's symbolic of that that brokenness as we see them uh, ripping their, their clothes and sitting in sackcloth and ashes to humble yourself before a holy God. But then there's a time to sew up and patch up. Maybe it's in your relationship with your, your family member. It's time to patch up with your brother and sister over something that's not going to make a hill of beans when you're all gone. Maybe it's time to make up with that friend that you feel like offended you. Time to fix up. And here's a really good one. Time to keep silent and a time to speak. The Bible says study to be quiet. So I just believe in telling the truth. I just speak my mind. Yeah, and the Bible says a fool does that. A fool is known by the many words he speaks. That's what Proverbs said. There's time to be quiet. And I know you're the God's gift in everything, but really, nobody cares what you think. Just ask them. And if you want the truth, ask about an eight or nine-year-old. Ask a 20-year-old, do you care what I think? No, I don't care what you think. Ask a millennial. Walk up and ask them. Say, what do you, do you care what I think? I'm 53 and I went to this school and I've done all this and I'm all this. Ask them. Do you care what I think? No, I don't care. But you know what's amazing? When you speak in the power of God's word, God quickens it. And you think it's nothing. You know some of the greatest messages I've ever preached was the ones that I felt like I had completely failed God on every instance. And I walked away defeated. And God says, it's because it's about me not you. And then in conclusion, verse 8, he said, there's a time to love and a time to hate. Listen, it's time to love the Lord and hate sin. It's time to make a decision. Are you with him or against him? Because you cannot walk in between. There are no Switzerland's in the army of God. You're either for him or you're against him. But there is no neutrality. Love the Lord. Hate sin. And then he said there's a time in ab- that is absolute of war 
and of peace. John 16.33 says it this way. This is, this is powerful. John 16, verse 33. He said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In this world, you'll have tribulation. You know what he's literally saying? You're going to have war. It's going to be war in your spirit, war on your job, war in your family, war in your school, war going down the street. There's going to be war in your life. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Adrian Rogers said, God is never late and he's never in a hurry. As they come to the instruments. Is God in control of your life because God is in control? It's whether you have surrendered your will to be swallowed up in his. Because you may think you order your time, you've got a calendar and you've got a watch and you've, you've got a day timer and you've got a computer program and you've got it where it'll come to your watch, come to your pad, iPad, it'll come to uh, every smartphone and every device you've got. Some of the most haunting things I've ever heard were people trapped at the top of the trade centers who called their family members, knowing their moments on this earth were limited. And their time ended on this earth, but they called, and it's recorded on an answer machine, and it's still there. But they're not. What matters is right now. God is calling you in His time. Will you pick up the line and talk to Him? Because there's a day coming, it's going to be too late. A time to be born and a time to die. I challenge you, die to yourself this morning and live in Christ. For He is the only way. Stand and come. Stand and come to Jesus this morning. Right now, without hesitation, come. On a hill far away Sit an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross Where the tear is set because of baptism and things like that, but we're not promised to, even tonight, much less tomorrow. 
And can I, with the greatest love and burden in my heart, not because I want to see things, but I beg you as a believer in Jesus Christ, don't put off what may not be a possibility. Don't put off what needs to be done today. You need to come and pray and ask the Lord to forgive you and save you. You need to come and say, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Lord, bless my life that I may surrender to you and serve you. Lord, I need to come join Eastside Baptist Church that I may be found faithful and serve to grow the kingdom of God. I'm not going to prolong it past that. But as we sing this next verse, you know if God's speaking to you, come right now.